We are back. We are back once again. Being Pod Chronicles. Alhamdulillah. Uh, Ramadan Eid Mubarak. Ramadan is uh, ended. Officially ended. And we're here. Eid Mubarak to everyone. All of our viewers and to, the, to our illustrious guests. Um, Sheikh Khalid Yassin is here with t today. I mean, you guys, you see, I'm I got dressed up today, so um, the reason why I'm all spiffied up, we have uh, a very uh, special guest with us today. Uh, they call him known by many names, I like to call him the Imam of the Imams. <laughs> Uh, we have <laughs> we have with us uh, besides our brother Fahim, we have uh, Sheikh Khalid Yassin, um, all the way from parts unknown. You know, the Sheikh is always traveling, traveling here and there, and uh, he's been uh, gracious enough to sit in with us today for this uh, episode of Being Part Chronicles, the uh, COVID nineteen Ramadan two thousand twenty Eid two thousand twenty edition. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh uh, Khalil Yassin. Welcome to Being Part Chronicles. Assalamu alaikum, I'm really, I'm really thankful to be a part of this. we're glad that uh, you were able to. I know you're busy. Um, you know that's one of the things we we want to. Couple of things we want to touch on, but I know tomorrow, as we said, tomorrow is Eid, um, 2020. I know. I don't know. I know. Uh, for me, this is uh, has to be the most um, interesting uh, time. I, I know. Uh, I was talking with a brother the other day, and he said this is like his thirtieth or fortieth Ramadan. But I don't know. I, regardless of how many Ramadans this is for 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 anyone, I'm sure Sheikh, this is uh, the most uh, interesting Ramadan that you've ever had, probably uh, experienced. Well, you know, I, I, I will um, I will say that uh, interesting is not a proper adjective. Okay. It's probably one of the most memorable, um, uh, the most certainly the most unique Ramadan, and I think it was most in the nineteen sixty five. Wow. So this is this is Ramadan number fifty five for me. Hmm. I mean, love. Uh, and it has to be the most unique Ramadan that I've ever experienced. Right. Uh, and to be very, to be very honest, you know, talking about it outside the box of religion, you know, because a lot of Muslims is limited right. to discussing the phenomena of Ramadan as it pertains to the religion. Right. And for me, I, to me, I have begun to experience Ramadan outside of the perspective of religion as it applies to life in general. How I'm dealing with non-Muslims and my relatives and you know my own personal growth and does that have nothing to do with the religious prescription? So in that respect, I want to say to you, in all honesty, and I'm telling everybody that I meet, I haven't had I haven't had a Ramadan experience as beautiful as this one. In the last 25 years. Wow. Wow. Beautiful. Now, you know, like now, I don't want to take up too much of the time, but I, I'll tell you why. 
Yeah. You know, this Ramadan, I'm in my cage. You know, this is where the prophets are saying receive his revelation in the cave. Right. Hold you know, I'm in a high tech cave, you know, so, you know, I got, you know, in my cage, I got it. I get my cave, I got everything. Right. That, you know, that we would think like a studio. Right. The prophets all saying didn't have all that. But he received the revelation. I ain't received no revelation. But, um, you know, I got 19 great grandchildren. Mm. I got 59 grandchildren and I got 13 children. Right. But nobody's here. Right. No great great grands, no great no grand, grandchildren, no children, nobody. Just I visit my daughter, you know, uh, Habiba. I visit her maybe every, you know, twice a week we see each other. That's it. Right. So for 16 weeks, I've been locked down because of this COVID virus thing. And I'm trying to be careful because being 74 years old, you know, I don't care what nobody's saying about conspiracy, you know what I mean, or whatever it is, the elite, the, you know what I mean, the, you know, the one percenters, I don't care. Right. You know, I'm taking all precautions. I'm gloved down, you know, I'm masked <laughs> down, I'm sprayed right. down, right. lights on, I'm doing the whole thing. Right. 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 <laughs> uh, however, this Ramadan, dealing with myself and dealing with my own projects and dealing with my own challenges and issues, it has been definitely the most rewarding Ramadan that I could recall in 25 years. And to be uh, even more honest with you, uh, I made Umrah. The last Umrah I made was like three years ago, right? Mm. I'll be honest with you. I feel better today than I did when I left Mecca three years ago. Wow. wow. Because, you know, Mecca was a Mecca was a different experience. You know, it's like going inside the Haram and coming out the Haram and making Tawaf and, you know, the whole thing, man. You know, it's a beautiful experience and all that. I guess it's just like kids who go to Disneyland the first time. You know, it's a beautiful experience. Right. And I don't want to compare it to Disneyland. I'm just... Right, right. We got you. You know the, the the aesthetics of it, right? Uh, but in terms of the impact on my life and what I accomplished and how I'm feeling today, I feel better today than I did when I came back from England the last time. Wow! So you, so you, you talk about why? Because I, because it ain't like empty. It's not like it's not like it ain't like you know like I, you know like some people when they be saying something they say oh it was you know it was powerful. Right. Like it was deep. No, no, I can explain what I'm saying. I'm not talking Go ahead. abstract adjectives. Go ahead, go ahead. Please do. Okay. You know, during these last, during these 30 days, you know, I had to decide, you know, what am I going to do? What's my schedule going to be? And that, it's not the issue of getting up for suhoor. That's like light stuff. You know, getting up at 4, 3.30 or 4 o'clock and eating some food, you know, and then, you know, breaking the fast and praying the fajr. All that's light stuff. That, that's what we got to do anyway. Right. No. It's right. like, what am I going to do the rest of the day? <laughs> am I going to sleep it out like most Muslims do? Right. I know that 90% of all the Muslims in the world that I've been to, you know, I've been to 97 countries, and I can tell you that 90% of all the Muslims, they stay up all night long, and then after they eat Zahor and pray five, they sleep until door time. 
Right. Unless they're working, right? Right. Okay. Ain't no sleep for me. No. First of all, I have to set a schedule for myself. And brothers, I'm telling you the truth. This Ramadan, I work 16 hours every single day. Mm. Wow. I'm talking about I'm talking about researching, writing, delivering, you know, like uh uh cons having consultations, you know, like delivering, you know, doing workshops, seminars, calling family members, you know, like going through my notes because I had a very powerful schedule. You know, um, this book that we just did, we had to complete this book. I've been working on this book 15 years. Wow. I've been trying to get it published for the last three years. We got it right. done in Ramadan. Check that out. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So, um, for me, there was no time wasted. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, like that I was doing a whole lot of praying and bickering, you know, and, you know, like, uh, Pray, praying a whole lot at night and recite a whole lot of Quran and you know trying to like a spiritual thing and all that it wasn't even like that mm. this was bread and butter this was meat and potatoes mm. this wasn't no, right. was no high for you know the brothers who be talking about Layla to Qadda and all that they popping game mm -mm -mm. they just saying what other people say they ain't had no epiphany <laughs> <laughs> Wow. You know, it's like what you supposed to feel it's like when somebody goes to a movie, they say blockbuster. It was, a, it was like triple fives. So if you pay $20 to see it and somebody asks you about the movie, what you going to say if you spent $20? You're going to say it was deep. Right. So right. that's what brothers and sisters for the most part is talking about Ramadan. They left the Qadda. I saw some lights, you know, in the middle of the night. A lot. You know, I seen this, I seen that. They just, man, I'm not saying what they saw. But I never seen no lights in fifty five years. <laughs> <laughs> so you saying that this Ramadan I believe in Lady Up Cutter. I believe in whatever yeah. Lord said. I believe it. Right. I believe that the experience is there, the blessings is there, the forgiveness is there, the mercy is there. I believe right. that. Right. But I'm not gonna be lying and telling people somehow or another that one of the odd nights in Ramadan, I had some kind of epiphany. Right. Not true. Right. right. And if it, does, if it does happen once in a lifetime, it ain't happened to me yet. Mashallah. Right. So are you and saying. I'm not going like that. I'm not even right. expecting it to come like that. Because I believe, from my experience, most things that God is going to give you, it comes as a gift or it comes as hard work. Right. Right. You didn't work for it. God just gave it to you, whether you deserve it or not, right? Right, right, right. And right. if it's hard work, you deserve it. I don't care if right. you believe in God or don't. Sometimes people work hard right. and God give them something. And other people, they, they believe in God, but they don't work hard, they don't get nothing. Mm. Because God mm. is fair. Right. And right. God is just. He ain't gonna give no right. sleeper. The same thing that he gives to somebody to get up early and go to work. Right. He don't give somebody the same experience who go out on the ocean and fish to somebody who go to the right. fish market, you know what I mean, just to buy one fish and fry it. They don't get the same experience. Right. So, this Ramadan, brothers, uh, I saw the fruits of my work. 
That's number one. Hmm. Something came to me. That re I realized that I'm just talking about the last seven years. I'm not going to talk about going all the way back because that's like too far. I don't want to take y'all way out in, in, in a deep ocean. I'm gonna right. Take, you know, because y'all, y'all young boys, even uh, even uh, even in Greece. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't want to take y'all way out there in the deep water. Yeah, I'm, thank I'm you. Keep you. I'm gonna keep you like in the lake, right? Yes, sir. So in the last five to seven years, I've been to I've been to like seven countries working on some projects that was related to either my book or related to a movie or related to some humanitarian work or related to right. trying to get some paper. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Well, to be honest with you, what the law showed me this month. He took me through all of those experiences for some reason. But he brought me back home to visit my mother in January. Right? Right. The middle of February, I got caught. I couldn't go back. All the airplanes is grounded. And what Allah wanted me to do, that I'm chasing for five years, he let me, he forced me to do it. Bam. And this one was done. Hmm. So because of COVID, you had to sit still for a moment. That's what it is. I can see, you know, in the in the um, in the 206th verse of Surah Baqarah, and I'm not going to quote the Arabic because you know we, we don't have to do that all the time. Uh, it says a lot, and I'm just going to paraphrase it. Allah uh. says, "It perchance, you know, that perchance is something you love, something that you really like, that there's some bad in that." And perchance something that you don't like, there's some good in that. So always when something happens, before you start reacting to it, you got to sit back for a moment and see what this is. So right. in the first five days of the COVID virus phenomenon, everybody was reacting. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm going to talk, you know, like, right, right, talk. right. You know, like, when I talk to my grandkids and my grandchildren, and you know, and, and some of their friends, I don't be like religious guy. I be like street guy. Right. So, so yeah, yeah. Feel free. Feel free. Okay. You among you friends. Know, like, for instance, I'm sure you guys heard. I heard. I, I'm sure y'all heard of Black Thought. Yes, sir. Yeah. So that's my man. He one of my soldiers. Yes, sir. <laughs> All so right. When I sit down with my grandchildren, and they want to kick it. They say, "Hey, Jetty." That's you. That means grandfather. They say, "Hey, Jetty." So what's going on? I said, I said, everything's cool. I said, I'm trying to keep it 100 plus. They say, they say 100 plus, what is that? I said, well, if it's a, you want to know what 100 plus is? Turn on Black Thought. Mm -hmm. They say, what? Black Thought, you into that? I said, I just told you to turn on Black Thought. Just take out, take out some of the, you know, sometimes he go a little bit too deep. You know, he yeah, 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 a little bit. I don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just filter that out. Fit out the curses, play that. and that's what I'm on. Yeah, and one of them puts it. One of them put that on YouTube, right? Mm. While we talking, I tell them put Black Thought on. Mm -hmm. And so when they put on Black Thought, you know how the rhythm go, right? You mm -hmm. know the rhythm, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as yeah. he's talking, I'm breaking it down. Mm -hmm. By the time he finishes ten minutes, spent, I blew them away, my grandkids. Right. And they be like, "Hey, Jetty." How you be on that kind of stuff? I said, listen, man, 
don't know what y'all think about grand folks. I don't think you think old folks. I don't know what y'all thinking about. But listen, I ain't never left the hood. I never left right. Christianity. And I ain't never left right. y'all. Ain't no generation gap. Right. So right there, hmm. I'm telling you this here why. Because when I sit with my grandchildren, I realize that we, we always want to be talking at them. We want them to step up to what we do. You know, we want to examine them and judge them and tell them what they should not be doing. And within right. five right. minutes, within five minutes, man, they be like inside they, they be looking at each other and in five minutes time they're looking at their clock or their phone and they be saying to themselves, Yo, Jeff, I'm out. You know what that means yeah. no, that ain't a car. That's not a car. Conversation's over. When they say I'm out, that's it. It's done. And you might not see them again because you clicked the wrong thing. You was on something else. They, them boys right. was on, they on satellite radio, and you still on AM. Right. right. I mean... So, having said that, yeah. um, you know, brothers, for me, alhamdulillah, what I come to realize this Ramadan more than anything else is that the older generation, we have to learn that when we enter a room, we got to make sure that we are on the right, that we are on the right wavelength, not that other people is on our wavelength. Right. Right. Because if we're not on the right wavelength, we're not going to be able to communicate with people. Right. Right. It ain't got nothing to do with whether they believe or they like us or they believe in what we're talking about. You're on the wrong wavelength. Right. So, um, if we prepare ourselves, for instance, if I want to talk to my 97-year-old mother, I got to be on her wavelength. Mm. If I want to talk to someone mm. of my, like my seven, my nine-year-old great-grandson, I got to be on his wavelength. Right. And that's a big scope between 97 and nine. Right. Now everybody can't do that, but this is what right. I right. always practice to do: to be between that nine-year-old and that 97-year-old, and that I can talk what Allah said. I can talk about what Allah said in both of their languages without using no Arabic. Right. Right. Now, having said that, um, I want to tell you, brothers, something uh, that's very important. Uh, one of the things that I realized during this Ramadan, which um, is, if anybody's thinking that after COVID-19 that the world is going back to normal, they just stupid. Mm. Right. Because COVID-19 has carved out a totally new territory for the whole world. A whole new direction. Right. Ain't nothing going back to normal. Absolutely. Absolutely. If Amazon, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world, got 80% of their population working from home, you think it's going to the world going back to normal? Mm. So, if you think that this virus, this invisible, because Donald Trump, you know, he's a, he, you know, Donald Trump got a lot of stuff that's wrong. And I don't, and nobody have to repeat that twice. But, but there's one thing he got right. He called the COVID virus the invisible enemy. Mm -hmm. He's the only politician that called it the invisible enemy. Because right. it is invisible. It isn't necessarily an enemy, but it is invisible. And nobody knows from where the armies of Allah come from. That means they're invisible. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, yes. and this is the only thing I know in the last 55 years that shut the whole world down, that put the world at their knees, that put, look, during this, during this Ramadan, I ain't hear nobody say nothing about no niqab. Did you hear anybody say something about the dab or niqab? Hmm. No. Men and women is wearing the car. <laughs> yeah, everybody's uh yeah, that's true. I ain't hear nobody say nothing about why men and women gotta be separate. Because now everybody's social distancing. Mm. Mm. I ain't hear nobody talk about no Muslims, there's no terrorists, no nothing. Ain't even on the news no more. You know, right. that's the first time that ain't no Muslim been mentioned on the news as being terrorists, fanatics, nothing. Because the whole thing is about COVID-19, right or wrong. Yeah, that's right. That's true. So the world ain't going back to normal. The world is going back to, a, the world is going to bounce back, but ain't nothing going to be normal no more. Hmm. So having said that, uh, now it's about communication. And I want to say something that um, that I'm telling all the brothers that I meet that the people that's overseas, the scholars that's overseas in Africa, the scholars that's in Asia, the scholars that's in the Arab world, I call them the triple A. Mm -hmm. Arab the Asia, Arab, uh -huh. Arab, Asian, Africa. Yeah, but there's another A. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's the Arab, Asia, Africa, and there's another ape that's, that's taking over the world right now. You know what one it is? No, which one is that? That's America. Mm -hmm. The leadership of the world is going to come right Hmm. Okay. We don't, we don't, we have to have respect for every garden that we took something out of. You know, if we went somewhere and we took something out of the garden inside an Arab country, we took something from the garden of an African country, we took something from the garden of the Asian countries, because Allah put it there. And we went and got it. But guess what? All of them, all of them is trying to get here to this garden. Hmm, all of them right. is eating out of this garden. And guess right. what the garden this one is? It's ours. Hmm. You know, I um, I wanted to. We looked at your book. We took a look at the, you know, some of the books and your in your commentary that's on the back of the book. Then that that was sort of like an interesting uh, question that I had because the name of your book is Islam. Uh, what is it? Islam, America, and the West. What's the name of the book and exactly? The and the world. And the world. Okay, so i mean you you say that you basically synthesize for the first time perhaps the synthesis of these three um uh dynamic realities and we're given a perspective from for the first time from uh indigenous african-american uh, uh uh muslim um and the the question i had was you know you kind of touched on it and uh you know fahim and i we we all often discuss like the african-american muslim and the role that we potentially could play you know we believe or i i definitely wholeheartedly believe that once the african-american 
Muslim understands what you just said that the power and the 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 importance and the significance of our experience here and the importance of being here of all places in America you know that once we come to understand and grasp that how important that is that then we can begin to uh you know fulfill this role that it seems to you know some of us who are uh, observing that Allah has prepared us to play an important role and um you know there has a challenge like this is you know people ask like why would I have this American flag you know uh, as part of my backdrop and for me um it's important to um uh sort of crystallize in the minds of people that there is a significance to being here and there is a significance to being an American and being a Muslim and being an African-American Muslim on top of that and you know I see a lot of our people as we like you said you, you put it elo eloquently and very intriguing way like describing uh, getting uh, something out of the gardens the Islam has many different faces and many different representations and expressions and a lot of uh, our people in the search for some what they would call authenticity have gone into the different gardens have gone to Africa have gone uh, to uh, to the Arab lands have gone even to uh, dealt with the um, Tabliki Jamaat with the with the Asians and you know uh, you know like Fahim and I again we we kind of discuss the, the importance, like, this is part of what we're doing with Being Pie Chronicles, is to try to um, be at the, you know, be a part of the discussion about changing the perspective and understanding that we, as African American Muslims, we have a role to play from this platform. That we are at, you know, we see our counterparts, our African American brothers, uh, projecting culture all over the world so there's hip-hop and and R&B and 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 all the different um, forms of entertainment sports or whatever iconic all over the world globally and so that so that that is what the african-american in has it has that ability to impact culture all over the world and once the african-american Muslim finds his voice you know like we saw uh, almost sort of its potential in, in, in Malcolm X. You know, everybody loves Malcolm X and everybody, um, you know, references Malcolm X. But what we, we what we see in Malcolm X is that potential, you know, um, of what this African-American Muslim could do if and when we realize that, you know, there is something of value here. Okay, let me... Let me spin off of that, you know, because um, uh, the chemistry is good. You know, it's, it's, I feel real good when I see uh, when I see uh, the generation under me that's, that he's able to expound upon that. You know what I'm saying? That that means that the chemistry is good. Um, so let me let me take off on that point, and I'll I'll take off based upon my experience. Okay. You know, I've been in 97 countries. 
And, you know, just I, I always I always tip, let people know um, that one of the one of the uh, beautiful things about what has happened to my life um, is that I know very wealthy people. I know some very, I know pe- people who got PhDs. <laughs> okay, and I know, and, and I met seven heads of state. So it's like I shook the hand of, you know, I, I ate dinner with, I was invited by, you know, I mean, seven heads of state. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm from Harlem, <laughs> raised in Brooklyn. It's a, you know, I ain't never had no money. You right. Know, a few times in my life, I had a couple quarters over lunch money. That's right. it. But I made Hodge 15 times. Mm. Mm. But I only paid for Hodge twice myself. When I mm. first made Hodge to myself, I paid for it. And when I made Hodge to my mother, I paid for it. All the other times, I was taking some other people on hide. So my hide was paid for, do that. So it wasn't like I had money. Right. Secondly, all these places that I traveled all over the world, I was invited. It wasn't like I got, I, I saved up some money and I just said, I'm going this place. I'm going to China. I'm going to Malaysia. I'm going to New Zealand. You know, I'm going to Mexico. I'm going over. No, I was invited. So, um, having said that, I make sure that my family understands that I was invited. That's how I traveled around the world. That's why I don't have no money. Because most people would think that if a man been all over the world, he probably got some money, right? You would think. Yeah, I don't. What the wealth that I have is my exposure. So having said that, let me tell you a little bit about the exposure. And let me tell you what makes the African-American different than any other African in this plant on the planet. Mm. And this is what we need to know. The African-American, there is no African on the planet like the African-American. The African-American got, got, he goes from zero to 180 in terms of diversity. You got the most stupidest, most ignorant, the most vile, the most violent, the most wretched, the most stupid, I mean, the most obnoxious Af- African that you can think of from the African Americans because they neglected themselves. They were kicked out, went down, whatever happened to them, and we see it every day. And I don't want to name people because we don't have to because there's just a lot of them right now. Mm. It's hard they to miss. Money, but they ain't got no sense, no dignity, no uh, no, no aspiration to do nothing. Their minds is to drag down just like their pants. Right. So right. that's, I said, that's the zero. But now they might have money. They might have some gold around their neck or some diamonds on their brain on their pinkies or whatever. But I'm talking about what they got here. Right. And, uh, and the respect they have for the world and what they really need for the world. But let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Let's go to, let's go to, um, I'm talking about now. I ain't talking about the past. I'm talking about right now. Let's go to Colin Powell. What African on the continent of Africa in the last 200 years could stand where Colin Powell stood? Right. Mm. I mean, he was Mm. the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. People don't understand it. I read biographies. And I'm telling you that when I talk to my grandchildren, I'm saying to them, listen, you want to understand where you could get to? 
you know, Colin Powell. Right. You know, he was the most powerful human being, meaning in terms of execution. I'm not talking about he's the president. Right. But in terms of execution, he had at his hands the coordination, okay, of the of the joint chiefs. That, that means that all the generals of the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, okay, the, the whole thing, all the generals, all their weapons, all their strategies was under his hands. Mm-hmm. Correct. Now, this is a black man. Yes, sir. This was before Obama, right? Yes, he was. So, in reality, Obama was the president, you know, he's the executive, but he didn't have the power that Colin Powell had. Right. Okay. Let's take another person. Let's take Condoleezza Rice, a black woman. Yeah. What was her job? She was the Secretary of State, right? Secretary of State, yep. So that means outside of the United States, she is the representative of the president. Right. That means when she sit, when she sit with 150 leaders of different countries, she's representing the United States of America and she's speaking for them. Is it right or wrong? Correct. It's a black woman. It's right. You see, you see what I'm saying now? Right. Now, is there any black women in Africa or anywhere in the world that had that kind of power? Not at all. Is there any kind of black, brown, yellow, or any kind of man that had the power of Colin Powell, had the influence of Colin Powell? No. No. Then, right after them, came Obama. Right or wrong? Right. Now, we can have, we can say what we want to say about Obama. I mean, I'm not no Obama fan or nothing. I'm not into that. I'm not, right. I'm not nobody fan. I'm a Muslim. Yes. But at the same token, man, he was the president of the United States of America and his wife, Michelle, was the most, she was the most sophisticated, articulate, influential black woman in the world while she was in the White House. Is that right or wrong? Correct. Okay. Let's take another lady. I like dealing with the ladies too, because this is the lady time right now. You know, we men got to understand that God is just, and men get been in positions of power. Guess what? Allah gave women power in the last twenty years, and they will be having power. So let's take another lady of power. Let's take Oprah. Now her power is different. It's just like influential. Right. Right. Do you know that Oprah Winfrey is more popular than the Queen of England? Mm-hmm. Now I ain't getting into I'm not getting into her personal lifestyle and you know all that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about more women in the world listen to Oprah than they do any other woman in the world. Right. Now these are all representatives of us. Right. So now let's leave that field and let's go into Let's go into um, let's go into another couple fields. Now you know there's a man in Africa. His name is um, Aliko Dangote. Did you ever hear of him? Yeah, he's a Nigerian, like billionaire, something like that. If I'm correct, he's the wealthiest man in Africa. The wealthiest man in Africa. Yeah, he's worth around thirty-four billion. Ooh, we. That's his personal worth. Yeah. He's the man. In case you don't notice, he's the man 
that paid off the national debt of Nigeria in order for Nigeria to start producing its own oil. Right. Now, how wealthy is he? Outrageous. But guess what? Man, he ain't as popular as Michael Jordan. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, I got a whole string of African Americans that if I want to talk to my grandchildren about, whether they Muslims or non-Muslims, I'm talking about them to let them understand that God took us out of took us out of Africa, brought us into America, you know, seven, eight generations ago, okay, and put us through the most sophisticated, genius, you know, human crime that you can think of. And we still going through it, even after Jim Crow and civil rights and you know the black all the stuff they're doing right now. But guess what? What God gave back to the African American, he he whatever he took from us, he gave it, he's giving it back. Mm. It's like somebody asked me, check, what you think about reparations? I'm telling them, man, I ain't got no time to be asking these crackers for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and excuse my language, because there's black crackers and there's white crackers, right. and there's yellow crackers, of course. Of and course. there's green crackers. And so a cracker is just a person who's, who, who wants to exploit people because they have an inferiority complex and because they got an inferiority complex and they can't accomplish what they want, they're going to use somebody else to take their take out some victimization or whatever. So white folks been doing it so long, we call them white crackers. But that's right. what black folks be doing that too. Right. So I, I'm not, I, I ain't down with no black crackers and no white crackers or no right. red crackers or no yellow crackers. Right. A cracker is a certain mentality. Okay. Just so that people don't understand why the check talking about some racial slurs. Right. Okay. So, um, whatever God took from us, and I'm a historian. I'm not a historian because I, I get a certificate, but I'm a historian because I have read at least 200 biographies. Right. Not, not only just the biography of the greatest man in the world, you know, uh, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, so, but so. I read the biographies of at least 200 most profound human beings in history. Right. So that I would have a personal reference, you know, to go by for myself or my children or the people I, I associate with when we get into conversations I got a reference to talk about of human beings that live. This ain't no myth. You know, this ain't like no myth, no idea. Or, you know, like people talk about somebody we don't even know if he really existed or not. Okay. Having said that, it is my belief that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us, the African Americans, he has given, he has opened up the window in America to allow us to be able to reconcile what was done to us. We can reconcile ourselves. Ain't nobody gotta give us nothing. Gotta go to court. We don't have to march for it. You know, we ain't gotta shoot nobody. We ain't gotta join no club, no nothing. The window of opportunity and reconciliation of our dignity, our wealth, our empowerment is open for us just because we here in America. Just because we here, no other Africans, no Asians, nobody else got it open to them like we do. Now, tell me, 
what other Africans in the world have the opportunities open to them that we have?